last time on Satin Tights, a Wonder Woman podcast. There's a scene where the queen announces the tournament to the Amazons, the Amazon people. And she says, one of you will be chosen to escort him home. Only the very oldest here know what it's like in the world of men, but you are too old to survive such a trip. <laughs> so it must be a young Amazon. I wonder why that didn't make it into the movie. <laughs> yeah. So it must be a young Amazon, a loyal Amazon, who can take him back to his country, then return to Paradise Island. Are there any volunteers? Most of the girls raise their hands. So she continues, I knew you would feel that way. Because there are so many eager to serve your queen, I have planned a tournament to determine the strongest, nimblest, and most likely Amazon for the assignment. We'll assemble at dawn. Wow. In keeping with the tradition of our games, all contestants will wear masks. May the best maiden win. of our tournaments with only your individual skills and prowess to rely upon one of you will win for the glory of all and to preserve our paradise let the tournament begin what do we all think about this contest the games i love that we begin and for the most part stay on a dissolve of uh, a long shot in slow motion of linda and other uh challengers running toward camera and for the most part we dissolve with other uh, images of games but that is a is sort of a, a fixture in that dissolve as she's getting closer and closer and closer uh and to my editing mind it's nice and uniform it's static. She's getting closer while other images of games uh, come in and out. I like it. And then we end on, and she's clearly uh, the winner. Well, one of the winners. What did you all think of, of that scene and, and how it was put together? Uh, because I don't see how else they could have done it to try and, and make it sort of a dynamic and show that there's a lot going on in that maybe one or two, one and a half minutes. I feel it was nice for capturing the excitement of it. Um, I re just re recalling the first time I watched it, uh, I, I was thrilled to see this contest, um, because I was curious how they were going to do all of it. I, I think it got through it quickly. It got us to where we needed to be in a, um, just very fast manner. And I prefer this sort of contest to any sort of, um, warrior Amazon contest uh, that's showing off their um, f fighting skills. I, I prefer this this side of the Amazons. They're more athleticism, they're intelligent, not that this is a contest of intelligence, but uh, just the athleticism, the intelligence, and as Linda, or Diana says in a later episode, uh, developing their minds and their 
bodies and their physical skills. Yeah, yeah. Th- that's something I. it was very clear to me. There's no, other than the, the, uh, the shot of the arm wrestle, there's no sort of contact uh, sport. There's no uh, uh, confrontational sport. There's there's no sword play. There's no. Uh, it's very games play. Mm-hmm. It's easily identifiable. That you know. I mean, an arm wrestle. That's that's all we get. And I I like that. <laughs> In casual conversation and and on this podcast. I actually generally never refer to it as the contest. I always call it the Amazon Olympics yeah. <laughs> because you get a sense with with the flags, with the laurel wreaths around the horses, with everyone in uniforms, especially with the pomp music. Uh, not pompous, but mm-hmm. pomp, you know, it's pomp and circumstance music. And it it really felt to me as if the entire island was there. It was, it was, they were celebrating their Olympics, not just a contest. I mean, they, they call it a contest and so forth, but I, I don't, I don't look at it as that because it's so uh, important that the, the way everyone treats it, this is a big deal. It, it's uh, one of the things it also does is it establishes that, they all are uh, essentially trained to be the best that they can be and that they all mm-hmm. have skills, not just Diana. And, and in actuality, Diana's powers, quote-unquote, are not that much greater than the other Amazons. She really develops her superpowers once she's given the belt. Right. Right. And this ties into something that, that I get into a little bit later in my notes in the fact that Ray, if you remember when we were talked about the Kathleen Crosby paradise Island, it was sort of very mystical and very, mm-hmm. uh, you, you actually said it was more mystical and, and that Linda Carter's paradise Island, it's very regal. It's very ceremonial. Uh, you know, um, and it's not, um, there, there are no deities. There are no goddesses. Yeah. There are no gods. There's no tie to uh, any of of bestowment of abilities or powers from gods. And uh, and what Andy said is very it's very telling in in what the and how he describes that all these Amazons it really did come down to the the top two best athletic as if Diana was not again. You know all of these uh, the, the the sort of the minutia and details of the comic. Um, none of that ever comes into play uh, in, in this series. No gods, not born of clay, not better or or uh, special, other than that she's uh, the the queen's daughter. She is quite literally just the best of all of them, and yeah, not she's the best of her people. Right, exactly. And what and what uh, she's allowed to keep that. Uh, ability because of the belt but outside of that she's no better than any of them mm-hmm. and immediately that sets this show a little bit apart from the mythology of the character in the comics it makes it very accessible as well absolutely you don't have to remember all of these things or have opinions on all of these things because they're not giving them to you they're just giving you uh, the character in this present moment yeah it's almost a generic here is a group of strong, powerful uh, females, and now we've narrowed it down to the best simply by 
um, you know, gamesmanship. Yeah, or or ma- or masked competitive strumpets, as it says in the script. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. When I read that in your notes, yeah. I died. I'm like strumpets. Yeah. <laughs> Just to be clear, that is not Ray's term. That is right. actually in the script. Yeah, it's in the script. It's in the script. Yeah, Ray didn't say, "Hey, look at these strumpets <laughs> on my screen." Another thing is what you clearly realize is that um, there's no. Uh, uh, there's no brand yet of sound effects. Mm-hmm. We do get a little bit of um, wire work in that montage when when one of the Amazons jumps over uh, the, the high jump or whatever. Uh, we know from just, you know, history that uh, Wonder Woman, uh, Linda's first uh, stunt work is jumping over that car and you have, well, there's, there's pictures of her in the wire uh, harness and all that stuff. That doesn't even make the movie. You know, it's more it's more behind the scenes stuff now because it's not even in the movie. Well, it's it's an interesting thing. I have a lot of behind the scenes photos from the making of the Olympics here, and uh, the just just like in the Wonder Woman movies, the two movies they really went for uh, women who were Olympians and who were tremendously athletic as their stunt women here because they could just say, okay, we want you to make this high jump or we want you to throw this hammer or whatever else. And it's interesting that uh, as in most of this pilot, Linda did almost every stunt herself. There's, There's very little stunt replacement work in the entire pilot, but especially the scene. I have, I have uh, multiple shots of Linda leaping over a leaping Linda's uh, a high jump bar. leaping strumpet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's leaping over a high jump bar. Now it may be that the that the teeter board that she's on is you know just like a foot below the camera level, but she's still doing her own stunt there. And she still did throw her own hammer and so forth. So, you know, these were, although we think of them as stunts, they are physical things that the actors were actually doing without without much, quote-unquote, stunt work. Very good. All right, uh, moving on. We did touch upon the fact that um, uh, in our scripts, it is Rena. Yes. Uh, but clearly something happened on, on set because that's not her friend that discovered Steve on the beach with her. Yeah. She feels like more of a competition between yeah. uh, her, her, her and Diana. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. She has a totally different physicality than the first, than Rena did. And, it, and uh, I noticed a different nose. The events have been tallied. And two Amazons are now tied for the honor. There is only one way to break the deadlock. Bullets and bracelets. For only women have the necessary speed and coordination to attempt bullets and bracelets without the loss of life. Are you ready? We're going to get three different representations of bullets and bracelets in this first movie. Uh, And here is the first one. The practical firecrackers works beautifully. Begin. And what they do is it's real time and slow motion. It just it just works when when yeah. it. I love it. I love it. It's great. Yep. And I also noticed something uh, later on in the season one. 
you'll notice uh, that there's a, a sort of a thin sort of uh, mesh or just a, an interior covering protecting, you know, uh, Linda's skin on her wrists. This first movie ain't none of that. It's this, <laughs> this, 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 these, these are metal cuffs digging into her wrists uh, most of this movie, and that must have been horrible. Uh, so no one thought about doing any kind of, you know, putting a little styrofoam or, or, or cloth in interior until uh, later on. <laughs> <laughs> later on because they look painful well it's interesting to note too if if you look at it really closely even the trigger style that they did for the uh the explosives was very different to what they did later you can clearly see in 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 rena her opponent when she gets hit uh, it, it's almost, I mean, she almost just bears it to the camera, this, this silver right. bulky thing yeah. in her hand. But later when we get to, when she's on stage for the super effect of, of the machine gun, if you slow that down, you can see wiring coming along, along the side of her arm, down her back, which, uh, they went a whole completely different way because they, this, this was supposed to be a sort of rapid fire, uh, type thing, but we'll get to that. This is the golden belt. It is the symbol of Amazon supremacy. So long as you wear it, you will retain your cunning and strength away from Paradise Island. And this is your golden lasso. Beside being made of an indestructible material, it also carries with it the power to compel people to tell the truth. Use it well and with compassion. You realize the task you have chosen is the most difficult sacrifice any person can make. I do it because I love my people. I love my queen. But most of all... When she reveals herself... I love my mother. I love this so much. I'm sorry, mother. But it was the only way. In my script, courtesy of Andy, it says that the queen is a gape. But the way Cloris Leachman plays it is just, she's not a gape, but she's not altogether comforted by this. I would have expected nothing less from my own daughter. And it's so good. It brings a tear to my eye. I did it for you, mother. One of the best moments in the in the in the picture. I think it's one of the best moments in the entire series. Well, there you go. All right. One of the most yeah. honest moments in the entire series, too. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. There's it's interesting that through a mask, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Linda <laughs> is is acting so much with her eyes and the emotion is so strong here. And it's, I, I mean, it's still, as you said, it brings a tear to your eye. This scene and the music accompaniment for it and the way that uh, Cloris Leachman drops her her jaunty facade. Yeah. Is, is, it's just, it's exquisite. It's, 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 it's a great scene. The shot of uh, Diana as the queen is descending the stairs too to walk up to her. It's almost as if we're seeing Diana as there's something very childlike about um, Diana's face here. And it's almost like we're seeing Diana through the queen's eyes 
as she's descending these stairs. You know, when you say that, um, uh, of course, the the reality is for her close up, it's a it's a very different shot. It 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 could have been a whole different day. But when you put it in the perspective of this is what mom is seeing. It it works, Ray. It, it it you know. It, I never liked the the tr- the 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 cut to that close up because I'm like, wait a minute, that's not that's not how she looks two seconds ago. Right. But I love what you're saying is that this is this is, this she looks more cherubic. She yeah. looks more less makeup, vulnerable. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love the lasso being given to her. I love the 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 belt being given to her. Interesting that it is a belt that you know in the next scene it's different. And it doesn't look like this. And, and it's sort of like, all right, well, that's a little bit. That does stick out a little bit to me uh, continuity-wise. And um, I don't know if it if it affects you guys. Or... I, po- I posit that it is uh, the power source for <laughs> Diana's magic belt when she goes into the outside world. So as long as this belt is somewhere on Paradise Island, it is the power source for Wonder Woman <laughs> herself. Right, well. I, it's I, connected I, to the magic. Right, book. right. And whereas I think that her her uh, costumes exist in a magical dimension that she accesses, uh, and it's kind of like, I, I hate to use this, but it's but people will immediately get it. It's kind of like Venom. Uh, Venom's outfit, you know, oh, yeah. okay. where, where it just wraps itself around her. And so I think that it can be malleable, uh, and that it is, that it's kind of a, uh, it's a malleable energy source. I do agree that that, you know, especially in the first season, they treat it as part of her powers. Almost to a detriment, uh, in season one. When but, she's, yeah. when she's spinning, we're actually seeing her kind of dipping into this dimension of energy or power and that that is, uh, wrapping itself around her body. Oh, I can't, I can't wait until the spins change so I can talk about it. <laughs> my, uh, my, my theory on how the magic works. Okay. Uh, all right. Good. Good. Stay tuned for beauty on parade. <laughs> If, at the rate we're going, you'll hear us talk about it in about 2029. <laughs> Shut up, Ray! <laughs> Wonder Woman will continue in a moment. Beautiful as Aphrodite. Wise as Athena. Stronger than Hercules. Swifter than Mercury. Explore the 75-year history of the Amazon princess with Wonder Woman, Warrior for Peace, a monthly podcast available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at wonderwomanwarriorforpeace.wordpress.com. So that brings us to Act Four. That was the end of Act Three. Beautiful, wonderful end. Uh, we come back to the top of Act Four. We open up. Uh, she is now in her Wonder Woman garb. The colors were chosen to show your allegiance to freedom and democracy. The skirt can be discarded if it should prove cumbersome. It's an interesting shot. We open on her face and she stands up and here's that skirt that we will never see again. It's like okay. star overload. 
and I love it. <laughs> the the one that comes later is much. I I feel a much better design. Yeah, I I agree with you. I definitely agree with you. This this looks like when when Cloris Leachman says, you know, it should prove cumbersome. Well, it looks cumbersome. Yeah, she's like, all right, I'm taking it off and I'm throwing it on the chair. <laughs> it, it just, Thanks, mom. It just looks heavy. Like it'll hits yeah. if it hits somebody in the wrong way, it's gonna cut them. You know, it's just a very a heavy piece of cloth. Well, you know, I I've got to say that 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 line is the probably the one of the lines I quote the most. Oh, really? In in, in normal everyday life, really. Um, in the same way that that people of us that are a certain age will quote, uh, you know, well, surely you don't mean that, and you'll say, "Stop calling me oh, surely. surely." Yes, I do, and stop calling me surely. Right. Uh, this one, whenever somebody mentions that they are taking something off, like, I'm just going to take off my coat. And I said, well, it must have just proved cumbersome. And they look at me like, what? <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, or or if I give somebody something to wear and I'll say, you can remove that if it should prove cumbersome. And, and, and almost nobody ever gets it. Wonder Woman fans always get it and dissolve into puddles of laughter. Everybody else looks at me like, "What is even that word?" <laughs> you know? Wow! And and I believe it is the only time in the history of film or television that I've heard the word cumbersome uh, uttered by a, a human. Right. Oh yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, when I hear somebody what say alien beings, <laughs> when I hear on your TV. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> when I, when I hear somebody say cumbersome, I'm you. It's usually they're saying cumberbun, and I just get it mixed up. Right. I mean, right. W- you know, if you use that in casual conversation, I, you know what I use in casual conversation? Unfemininely pushy. <laughs> <laughs> you must get canceled a lot, Paul. It's a gift. Um, <laughs> this scene with mom. If the last one wasn't just perfect and beautiful, this one has to be a close runner-up. Yeah. Go in peace, my daughter. And remember that in the world of ordinary mortals, you are a wonder woman. There must be something about Cloris Leachman's life force that just forces you to be present with her. Right! Oh my gosh! I will make you proud of me. And of Wonder Woman. I will make you proud of me. Yeah. There's something that you say in your notes, Ray, that I love, is that um, the title Wonder Woman is bestowed upon Diana by her mom. By her mom. I love that. It's a gift. It's another, it's part of the gift of this this costume and uh, and the title and the name. I, 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 one thing I, I, I feel this show has is, uh, even though there were some problematic things in the script, like uh, masked competitive strumpets, it the relationship between uh, the mother and daughter is so deep, um, and I, I really credit the two actors with that. They have their moments, right? And we've seen it, you know. Mm-hmm. Like that was a command, not a request. So you know that that mom and 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 daughter they can get snippy with each other. Yeah, uh, but it's nothing, you know. This is real. They still love each other. Yeah, exactly. It, mm-hmm. And this is why I think it's important that there are no men involved in the origin. Yeah. It, it needs to, uh, yeah. 
I don't think I have much more to say on that. Uh, the costume uh, in your notes, Ray, uh, you say that you know she says it's uh, it's 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 indestructible. The material is indestructible, and you say, it well, is. then it should it should be able to do- repel bullets. She right. She should be able to. <laughs> bullets should bounce off of her. The only the only time we next see the costume <laughs> being indestructible again or protecting her right uh, is in going going gone. And when, uh, yes, when, when the, that guy punches her, when Bruce Lee wannabe punches her, right, right. Well, um, and also know, in Mind Stealers from Outer Space, when the Skrill yes. just shoot her right in the belt, and it's yeah. like, you know, it's a little bit discomforting, but nothing. Yeah. There is a difference though between indestructible and impenetrable. The indestructible means it can't be torn. Impenetrable means that it can't be penetrated by a bullet or a a sword or anything else like that. And we do never see, as if they were really paying that close attention to the continuity in later later episodes, we do never see the costume penetrated. Right, right. Uh, But uh, we also never see it torn. So uh, I maintain that it actually is, continues to be indestructible, but that's more for a standards and practices and sensorial reason, because if they had destructed any of the fabric, then we would have been seeing more of of Wonder Woman than the sensors would have allowed. <laughs> right, right. I will say this, though, uh, to piggyback that, Andy, is that uh, in some of the uh, high-res uh, photos of season one, if you really zoom in, you know, some of them stars are coming off. Yeah. They're they're just they're just <laughs> peeling off, and the naked eye can't see it because she's moving, you know. But if you if you pause, or if you look at one of those high res stills, they're starting to fray. And I'm sure after every night, you know, the costumes would go back as they do, and they're all treated and they're touched up, and you know, um, all that Straight stuff. Straight down. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> uh, all right. Act four continues with the plane scene. Uh, I would just like to, before we do that, I would like to say goodbye to Cloris Leachman and thank her for creating a character that is regal, that is uh, a, a scenery chewer a uh, horny and bored and talented because her character had all of those things and loving. I think she is the deepest of, of our Queens. And she was a spaz. Yeah. She was really out there. I mean, you know, they were great comic moments, but if we're to believe that that's who she was, then she was a spaz, you know, it's sisterhood be gone. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> she she couldn't even stand in front of her own, you know, incense without inhaling that. I mean, yeah. this is a woman that's out there and she's the ruler of this nation. And having, but maybe it's the presence of this man being on her island. Right, right. That she, she just, it's totally blown. It's like a. Uh, thousands of years of practice. It's like shingles. It's like, it's like a, you know, she's getting itchy now. Yeah. <laughs> There's a man these, on Paradise these, Island. I'm, these, I'm breaking out. These memories of men that I. I, 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 I need them, but I've trained myself with athletic discipline and higher learning. What's going on? Masculine, barbaric. Oh, so I want to thank her for creating a deeply beautiful, fun, flawed, regal character. It is amazing what she was able to do in just the short time that she filmed. Uh, you know, I mean, that says that says a lot to her as an actress and uh, you know the the depth of her connection, uh, the genuine nature of of her feelings with Linda. Mm-hmm. And remember that 
at this point in time, Chloris had had probably four times as many years, no, 40 times as many years acting experience as Linda had had. You know, I mean, it was, she really had been around. I mean, she had just come off of a, a, an Academy Award win for Last Picture Show, like a year or two earlier. I mean, this is, they, right. they brought in the big guns with her. And Beatrice Strait came in off of an Academy Award win, too. Network, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which brings me, let me, can I ask you guys, uh, Beatrice Strait, Cloris Leachman, and Carolyn Jones, who's your favorite? Right now, Fess up. Aye, aye, aye. <laughs> I'm going to say Chloris. Oh, right. Good. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to reveal myself. Uh, I'm a, I'm a Beecher straight fan. I, I appreciate both of them for different reasons. Yeah. I can't call a favorite anymore. Oh, what about, oh. what about Carolyn? I love Carolyn. Believe Carolyn's me. Carolyn's a kook. She's a and, I, and, <laughs> and I love it. I love what she brought to the character too. I love all of them. Yeah. It's uh, just Beatrice straight was the acting teacher of my acting teachers. Oh, and, there you go. Uh, yes. She's, um, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but I'll just be brief. Michael Chekhov was her acting teacher. She um, is the reason that, one of the reasons that the Michael Chekhov acting technique is still practiced and present in the world to this day. Um, and That's amazing. That acting technique uh, changed my life. So I, I have appreciation beyond what she did as the queen i loved her in network i mean she won for like a uh, i think it's like eight minutes eight minute scene i mean yeah. just i mean it was fantastic but but i must say i've truly first time i mean of course wonder woman but poltergeist i've never seen it oh my god when she, there's this there's a scene where all it is it's she's whispering she's having a conversation with uh, an eight-year-old and they're whispering about life after death and what the world beyond might be or what it might mm. not be. It's a night scene, and it's done in whisper, and her voice is so comforting. Mm -hmm. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Anyway, I digress. Uh, time is moving on. Um, back to the plane. Yeah, back to the... <laughs> Uh, the plane, uh, elevator music. Ray, you call it elevator music. It is elevator music. I hate to say. It. Uh, Linda will later call it, you know, uh, that stupid music. Um, she did. She calls it the stupid music. <laughs> <laughs> they had the stupidest music playing over that invisible plane. It was sort of like some jazz thing, or I don't write. I just never liked that plane. I must be dreaming. No. You're not. I must have died and gone to heaven. Two wrong. One guess left. The last thing I remember was getting shot while coming down on my parachute. Shh. Relax. We'll be landing soon. I imagine it every time I'm flying in a plane. <laughs> I imagine it every time I get in an elevator. <laughs> <laughs> it just it just gets me through the day. Um, I, I I I agree with you, Ray. I wish this. Uh, they wish they would have kept this. Uh, but here's my here's yeah. my my thing. When I was a kid, I loved it except for that darn red chair. I'm like, what is this mm -hmm. red chair doing in this? Everything should be invisible. And then uh, when mm -hmm. I got older, and I started reading back issues of the comics, in uh, Wonder Woman number one, when it depicts this scene, it's a red chair. Interesting. Stanley Ralph Ross was not playing around. This is this movie is so faithful 
to those origin comics, it is it it blows my mind how faithful his story is, how faithful it follows uh, each of uh, the 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 sequences in in them. Uh, but we'll get to that. Uh, back to this red chair, and in sensation number one. When they do this scene, it's a green chair. Maybe it changes color depending on her mood. <laughs> I'll, I'm going to go with that. It's I'm, a mood chair. I'm going to go with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I just think this, I, I, I prefer this design. I like that it doesn't look like a doll sitting inside of it. You don't like the plastic plane with a doll? No, I really don't. <laughs> and in, especially when it goes into the, into the CBS, I'm like, this this is actually a little embarrassing. Oh my god, it's yeah. terrible. Well, this is this is pretty much a practical uh, a practical ish plane. Yeah, mm-hmm. like plexiglass uh, or something, right, Andy? Basically, they filmed this as a like the front, or if you cut the plane in half. Uh, down the middle, um, the you know that 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 was what they were filming was the front half of the plane, and then I don't know what happened to that, but they never used it again. It seems like they just kept the cockpit, but that is the most effective plane sequence. Yeah. I watched the Drusilla and Diana in the plane sequence oh. yesterday, <laughs> and um, not as effective. I mean, the close-ups are because they still use the cockpit. Right, 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 right. Yeah, no, the doll in the in the plastic plane with the smoke. I, I, yeah, when I look, when I was a kid, when I was seven, eight years old, it was it was real life for me. It was perfect. Yeah, looking at it now, it's like man. <laughs> I like uh, that he calls her angel. I yeah. wish that he had called her angel. More of that minutia. It's the loss of the romantic attraction. I feel the yeah. little the little touches like that that made it feel real beyond an infatuation with each other. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Diana delivers Steve to the hospital. Andy, more dangling feet. Yeah. <laughs> well, also uh, more dummy feet. He's extraordinarily long. The, the, the point that the point that she brings him into the uh, to the emergency room. Right, right. He's like twelve feet long or something. Uh, um, it's very odd. Um, I love uh, 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 Ray. You made a note uh, that in your script. Uh, the nurse said, "If you want to take care of him, you gotta you gotta apply for a job. You gotta, you... <laughs> and it's gonna it's gonna take a while to get it. Right. Uh, in order to nurse here, you must make application, be approved." Wonder Woman says, "How long does that take?" <laughs> nurse, several weeks, I'm afraid. What nursing school did you graduate from? I I don't I don't know that uniform at all. Wonder Woman, I'll have to leave my patient in your hands. <laughs> nurse oh well then if you want to check on the condition of your patient you can call or come during visiting hours i hope you understand <laughs> it's written like a william moulton marston comic yeah yeah it's the kind of dialogue you would read right. yeah right. ross was great um i will say in this scene uh a young gregory harrison plays one of the doctors who says uh, what yeah he says uh major steve trevor but he's dead of course, you know, he'll play a doctor for seven years in Trapper John. In a couple of years from this movie, he'll play in the, the short-lived Logan's Run TV series. It is him. And uh, he'll go on to do so much TV. He didn't yet have his curly hair either. No, it was a very, very short, yeah. Now, I did want to point out real quickly that this is another of the scenes where she's actually holding the real Lyle Wagner up. Yeah. 
And uh, I believe it was when I talked with her about it for one of my interviews that I, I think she said that he was like his butt was on a, <laughs> a a rolling cart or a gurney or something. Well, if you listen to the if you listen to the audio commentary of this uh, particular uh, pilot in this scene that we're talking about. Uh, she is talking about it with Doug Kramer. Now, do you remember how we did that with me actually holding him? Was there something underneath him? We had him on a, pl- a board, just a board that was maybe two feet wide and whatever. And we had we had guys, it had to be where you couldn't see it, you know, because of that um, that counter there. When I walked in, the board was just under the counter, and they were carrying this board and kind of crawling on the floor. Uh, and the stunt guy put knee pads on them. But it looked good. It does. Well, and, and you know, at, beyond that, he's also, I mean, he's doing a crunch right there. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, he's, yes, she's holding him, but, she, but he's also got to, like, keep his body you know, in that position. I, I imagine that they did as few takes of that scene as possible because that was, that was, you know, then she immediately moves him onto a gurney and it's still him. Yeah. So that was, that was really kind of quite a stunt for, for her to do without looking like she's straining for him to do, you know, to, to keep that crunch position while still looking unconscious and, for all the effects guys who were just out of camera, I mean that was that was a lot of work for for just that brief scene. Yeah, and you know they're going to perfect this. I mean, hello in in third season, one of my favorite episodes, which is um, uh, uh, Pot of Gold. I mean, she catches they throw O'Neill in her arms. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> From from, uh, from from the sky from top, <laughs> but I mean he's just probably uh, hang uh, held uh, out of frame top, and yeah. and they just drop him into this plank or basket or whatever. But she still has to, you know, grab his legs and his <laughs> and his shoulders, and it looks great. It yeah. looks great. One thing about um, the nurses poster yes. that says "Be prepared, join to serve." Uh, nurse Diana is dressed like that nurse when she comes onto the screen. Oh, a little bit of foreshadowing there. Yes, perhaps this is referencing our you have to apply <laughs> to the <laughs> This is how they summed that up. And and it's a continual uh a continued thing where uh you know, the, the, the police tells her to fill out paperwork, the mm-hmm. the, the dress owner asks oh, her yeah. for money, etc. Yeah. There's so there so it's a continuation of the theme. It's like a it's a motif. They may have just felt that it was too much or they <laughs> you know, when they when they were cutting and they were like, Well, we need to cut this for running time or whatever. Right. Uh but it is a very cute little moment there. She had no patience for the in, in, intricacies of human relations. Right. Right. I, like, I don't have any patience. I'm not doing this. I don't have no. patience for inter, um, what you said. Um, <laughs> Maybe uh, that's why we get along. There you go. Exactly. Uh, my last comment about Gregory Harrison, he once he's quoted as saying, I didn't study acting for nine years to become a hunk. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, what did you study acting for then? <laughs> 
Then give yourself a disfiguring scar, and, right. and then you don't have to worry about it. There you go. I'm sure Linda didn't study acting to be called a masked competitive strumpet either. <laughs> the next scene, uh, General Blankenship and Marcia learn Marcia. Of, of Steve's return, uh, and Marcia calls in uh, help. Uh, she calls Carl, which we'll find out to be Red Buttons. Um, in your notes, Ray, uh, mm-hmm. you talk about how uh, once the general leaves... She's going to make her phone call, so she starts yeah. closing doors and, and closing blinds. And it's one of the funny, campy bits. It's not in the script. This woman on the other side of the glass looks at her, and there's just this beaming smile, and mm-hmm. boom, the, the blinders those damn blinds. shut it out. It's hysterical. <laughs> yeah, and later, and then when Diana uh, sees a woman in the window, she goes in. Yeah. She goes into the dress shop. So it's an it's a nice juxtaposition of their two personalities. The the other thing I wanted to point out in that scene is right before she does all this, she passes a poster that says "Don't talk." Oh, I missed that, that Andy. That I is, missed that. that is very specifically in the scene. Yes, um, and it's a <laughs> it's a World War II poster, and and like immediately she passes this poster that's in blazing red and yellow, yeah. saying "Don't talk." And what does she do? She makes a call and talks. Yeah. Wow. And and it's also, it has an arrow that says a spy may look like this, and it's a man. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody would suspect a woman. Right, right, right. So even just even just the set <laughs> decoration was was a commentary on what was what was going on. When she calls red buttons on the phone. Carl, Marsha, I need your help fast. Get down here to Washington right away. Steve Trevor is alive. Apparently some woman is responsible, and she must be found and stopped. <laughs> She must be found and stopped. Stopped. And I, I, I just, I crack up every time because it's such a, a great sort of comic book type phrase or declaration because there's no context for it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, there's no evidence to suggest that Marsha will ever meet Wonder Woman or that Wonder Woman will ever again appear. She just, the, the hot issue here is Steve Trevor's back, right? There's no context to offer that, you know, the woman's going to stick around or, or become a problem, but she must be found and stopped. Yeah. Just great. I mean, great. Another thing that uh, was in my script that wasn't uh, on screen, as she's talking to Carl, she's taking out a pistol and she's <laughs> checking the bullets. <laughs> Next, we cut to what Doug Kramer calls the Tarzan scene. And I love this scene. The Tarzan scene. It's, he calls it the Tarzan scene as, as sort of when Tarzan comes out of the jungle and he's met mm. with civilization. It's, it's also the Stranger in a Strange Land. Uh, it's Wonder Woman walking down, you know, Washington Boulevard, USA, and she's just overwhelmed by all of this modern, you know, 1942 civilization. This scene, by the way, is there's a couple of famous images of her standing with her hands on the hips and and the stonework in the background, and then there, which they made into a poster. And then there's another shot of her doing the same pose, but with a bunch of soldiers leering yeah. behind oh, her yeah. and looking at her butt. And that that was filmed on this, or that was shot on this day with that group of soldiers that's kind of following her yeah. to the dress shop. That's the same group of soldiers. Uh, there's a shot of, of two ladies with a newsstand in the background. And if you look, look on it prominently is the 
uh, Time magazine with Adolf Hitler on the on the front cover. Yeah, it's the second and, time we see it, right? Yeah, that's the second time we see it. But it's given that the magazine is a year old at that point, uh, or or is at least it's not timely. The the odds of it being on a newsstand are pretty slim. But that's not the only problem this newsstand has, as we'll as we'll find out later. <laughs> right, right. Uh, These two ladies look like they're right out of an H.G. Peter drawing, too. Yeah, <laughs> it's wonderful. Let's talk about Marie's women's wear. Um, I like what you said earlier, Ray, about how you know she the, the beaming smile and draws yeah. uh, uh, Diana in, but it's it's yeah. a, she's hiding something behind that smile. Uh, I love how you know uh, as soon as she gets. You know, uh, Diana interested in coming in the door. You know, her leg creeps out, and she's gonna close yeah. the door with her leg. It's like yeah. anybody, anybody. I need body. I need to sell something to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I saw you through the window, and I said to my Brenda, "You have something that would be perfect for a figure like hers." Well, thank you. But now, I'm what really you're wearing is just fine for summer. Far be it for me to criticize, but with winter coming. Oh, that is most becoming, my dear. The whole scene inside is 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 fun, and it's uh, it reminds you that the Wonder Woman movie with Gal Gadot, uh, you know, Patty's very she's admits she's influenced by Linda's uh, show, and um, there's a clothing scene in that movie uh, very similar to this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish this one could have gone on more. Uh, putting Wonder Woman in a dress and like having her look. I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> you certainly use a lot of material in your dresses. <laughs> well, this is downright stingy by comparison to what we had before the war. These days, what with all the rationing, the dresses are half the size. Thank you very much for the dress. You're welcome. Goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, just a minute. You can't leave without paying. Paying? That dress is six ninety-five, marked down from ten. I haven't the slightest idea what you're talking about. No money, no dress. And next time, lady, try to con somebody else. I love what you said, Linda. Wonder Woman learns the joys of paying for things. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Just one note about Linda's costume here. The tiara is already different than the one that she um, wore in the scene with uh, when she received the costume. Oh, so they're already switching things out. Yeah, yeah. Super bright, shiny, shiny tiara. Yep. <laughs> um, innocence. That's something that you also said is refreshing in this scene. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. She's yes. so green to all of this and the face when she's rebuffed and the woman's like you know con somebody else and she kicks her out the face is just so it's sad yeah it's like oh (laughs) why it's refreshing in this in this scene especially but uh as the series goes on and uh, i think linda's spoken about this as well as directors were coming in telling her how she should play the character with this false layer of innocence and this different voice that she used uh, that just felt so unnatural. And I think is one of the reasons I prefer the CBS series to the ABC, because so much of the time was spent forcing Wonder Woman to be a wide-eyed innocent when if the directors would have just let Linda do what she's doing already, um, I feel it would have been a, a, a truer a truer to the actor. 
than what we got on the screen. What she has said uh, was that um, there was, you know, uh, people, she called it echelons. Someone in the upper echelons wanted me to, to take to take some instruction on being Wonder Woman, I rec- as I recall. Really? Yeah. And I went, I worked with this, uh, with this acting coach and did what they suggested. And those were the a couple of, of real stinkers in the bunch that, huh. that I thought were just awful. So I went back to doing it my way. Sort of the wide-eyed doe of Gargantua. And- Gargantua and, and like that lump of episodes there, that three or four uh, episodes okay. All right. in, in that range. Because she's much more, she's sort of much more commanding of herself in like you know bushwhackers and wonder woman in hollywood and and in 407 oh see formula 407 is my least favorite really with the way that she's especially that beach scene it feels like uh i don't know wonder woman is turned into some kind of idiot it's <laughs> going on memory maybe i'll have a different impression oh of it wow then. oh my god this is gonna be such a fun podcast <laughs> I really, because I love, I love... um, That's not a judgment on the actor, by the way. That is a judgment on uh, directors and interfering directors. uh, And, and of course, you know, you know, you know me, I'm, I'm so critical of the later seasons and how... You know, it's it turns into Diana Prince, you know, uh, 007 super agent that mm-hmm. you know, uh, and she's she gets annoyed easily and she kicks tires when she's upset, and uh, she sort of uh, growls, and I'm like, oh my god, what happened? She, you need to go home to Paradise Island, lady. <laughs> yes, she does. She's frustrated <laughs> with this man's world that just doesn't learn its lesson. Uh, one one note about in my script uh, that Andy provided me, uh, there's a scene where she examines a bra in that. Yes. And she scoffs at the idea that a woman needs more than exercise and good nutrition for, quote, mm-hmm. foundation and support. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, we'll get into uh, this crowd scene. It presents a couple of things. We're going to talk about background players that have been here from the beginning. We'll see them. There are going to be three that I touch on. One of them is in the background. He's a sailor in this uh, episode, and he's going to pop up in the last episode of Wonder Woman, the man who could not die. Uh, really? Yeah. So, and there's a woman. There's a a a. a um, uh, she she gets one line in, in, in Mind Stealer. She plays the the ambassador in the UN that asks Andros if he's really, you know, did you say that you were from outer space? And he's like, yes. Okay. Uh, you see her dozens of times in the in the three seasons of Wonder Woman. Uh, and there's another guy. I mean, we'll talk about him. And I, I love, I want to shout out these these characters that just appear in the background in, in, in dozens of Wonder Woman episodes playing different characters. Um, but we'll, we'll 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 stay tuned for that stuff. They're fembots. That's actually all the same person. <laughs> Here, uh, this is the, the big set piece. Now comes for the bank. Here's the bank robbery. I have to I have to do a callback to the people that have made this run from Marie's Women's Wear across the street over to the bank. Andy has done it, and we're going to link to a video where Andy went on the uh, oh, saw that went on the the, the Warner Brothers lot. And he did. He made the run. He made the Wonder Woman run over to the the bank robbery, and he spins. And uh, it's it's just awesome. Let me tell you that there were <laughs> there were people there on the set on the set, right. uh, you know, on the back lot that day. There were people like walking to their offices, or or there were some you know crew guys that were moving some equipment. There was a. You know, it was just like probably when you were really filming. And here's this 
you know, middle-aged chubby guy in a Wonder Woman shirt, <laughs> like doing this dorky run at a certain curve, curve pattern across the street and, and somebody else is filming it. And everybody was just kind of like, they're looking at me oddly. And then at the same time, they're kind of, they kind of figured that whatever was happening was meant to be happening. <laughs> and so it was just like, you know, they probably got back and said, what's the, the fat guy running show? What show is that? <laughs> Who's that actor? What's he in? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a backlot. You never know what, what's going to, what you're going to see. But it was, uh, what was wonderful about that. If you watch this clip, the guy who's filming it is uh, one of the workers at Warner brothers, who is a huge wonder woman fan, Brad Taylor. He knew exactly every single spot to take us oh, yeah. that he oh, yeah. could. Oh, cool. And then the other guy who was with us that day uh, works at the Paley Center for Television and Film, also a huge Wonder Woman fan. So the three of us were, if one of us didn't know the exact details, the other two did. And it was pretty amazing. I mean, we were able to sit there and go... Here's the bank pillars for uh, you right, know, right. the last two dollar bills. <laughs> right. Here's the exact window that she she walks by. Here's the doorway. Here's the pillar. Here's the you know. And uh, even though it was a different movie marquee, we were able to get that shot of me running over to the movie marquee where the where the bank robbers were. It was. It was quite a thrill, really, for somebody who's as big a Wonder Woman fan as I was to actually be literally running in in the same spot. It must have been absolutely sort of outside yourself. Like, I'm 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 wow, I'm doing this. Right. Did the music go through your head, Andy? It did. Oh, totally, totally did. <laughs> and it took about I think we did that about six or seven takes uh, to, get, <laughs> to get the run right. Uh, because it just wasn't feeling like Linda, you know? <laughs> so, did you tuck your middle finger? <laughs> I don't remember whether I did or not. I mean, I was really self-conscious because there were, there were so many people around. It was hard to get out of my head and into Linda Carter's head. Right, right. But I, w I was doing my best. I just want to shout out the other uh, friend uh, is Gary Browning, who's uh, he's really cool. He was the one that I called to, to set up my appointment for uh, me and Max Mendoza to go and, and watch the, the, the actual opening of the pilot. Uh, at the Paley Center in LA. Oh and yeah, like, yeah. Let's set it up, and you know, and we went to um, that's so cool. Lindsay Wagner's uh, Walk of Stars in Palm Springs, which L Linda Carter presented her uh, the plaque, and it was just, it was, it was, it was fantastic. Uh, but yeah, Gary and Brad, they're you know huge, huge, and that's what you want with you, huge, huge Wonder Woman fans, right? Mm -hmm. Me, but that's very rude. Get out of here, broad. It's also dangerous. Please put those guns down. You could hurt people. Shoot her, not zeal. Me, I never shot a woman before, except in self-defense. I've never shot a woman before, except in self-defense. Self I don't know. I just love that line. That is brilliant. <laughs> It's brilliant, except it. in self-defense. In the script, it says I'd never killed a woman before, except oh, in self-defense. Good catch, Paul. <laughs> and I'm like, that. I don't know if it makes it funnier or worse. 
<laughs> you've, you've never killed a woman except in self-defense. <laughs> it's terrible, but I, I I think I giggled a little bit harder. Uh, this is the second uh, bullets and bracelets representation that we get here. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, I never liked it. I always liked the practical seeing it happen. Mm-hmm. But here we get jump cuts. We get cut. Her hands are here. Her arms are now here and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and Ray, you have to remind me, was it you that told me that it actually worked for you because it was from the perspective of anybody watching her do this, it would seem like her hands suddenly appear in those places. It just changed my my attitude towards... Oh, then it was definitely me. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like something I might say. Because I hated it. See, I like it. I do like it. Yeah, and that, well, I like it now too. It's, and this is the second, you know, representation of bullets and bracelets we'll get in this, in this picture. And I, I just, I now love it. Yeah, I also think this is just such an awesome shot. Oh yeah, this straight-on shot of her doing this um, is really cool. It feels so comic booky to me, and the the arm p- positions are everything. Right, it's really cool. All right, now speaking of comic book, let's get to that. And I think this is something Andy was alluding to earlier as well. Uh, the Superman comic in the background on the rack. From 1972. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually Superman number 261. Cover date February. Uh, of course, it's the cover date is later. But yeah, it's December 1972. It was on the racks. Cover image of uh, what looks, what appears to be uh, Carol. Star Sapphire. Yeah. Star Sapphire, Carol Ferris, making Superman, you know, lick her boots. And, and, uh, so you have to dig it up and, and I did, and I read the story and it's, you know, it's about star Sapphire kicking Superman's butt and making him, making him lick her boots and Lois Lane of all people has to save him. Yay. It's a really cool story, but it didn't exist in 1942. Well, I think what happened was Joan Van Ark, uh, <laughs> left her time period um, what was it, 2155? I think so, yeah. And she came back into 1942 and put that there. Excellent. I, I, will, I buy it. I buy it, yeah. The tiara, you will notice, you eagle-eyed Uh-oh. viewers, you, is back to the tiara that um, the queen gave her. And uh, I just wanted to comment on her eyeshadow. Yes. Her eyeshadow, once the series kicks in, becomes blue. And in this pilot, they're using softer pinks and browns, which is more era appropriate. Yeah. Do you think, is this uh, something, you know, maybe um, Deborah Winger might uh, like that eyeshadow? I would love to talk to Deborah Winger. <laughs> maybe we can talk about the eyeshadow. This, this scene uh, was longer in the script. The, the fight was longer. So after Sal and Nunzio, which are their names, <laughs> they, uh, they're now ammunitionless. So they attack Wonder Woman from either side and a fight begins. The two men rush her and she steps back at the last minute, trips one and punches the other simultaneously. They both fall. Wonder Woman stands back and smiles. This enrages the twosome and they rise and together begin backing her towards the wall against which the first criminal still lies unconscious. She is back up against the wall now and the two men are rushing her. She reaches up, grabs onto a ledge with her hands and shoots her feet out just as the men are within legs length. Her toes kick at the criminal's jaws and they crumple on the spot like felled oxen. Wow! 
As Wonder Woman bends down to examine the robbers, a crowd gathers. One of them, a man about 50 and a bit overdressed, watches her closely. So that's Ashley Norman. One robber stirs, makes an attempt to get to Wonder Woman, but she takes his legs and picks him up by them. <laughs> then we go to Marvin. He is beginning to recover and reaches for his gun. This must have been another guy in the scene. Uh, she spots Marvin, lets the robber fly right into him. He yells as he is let go. Angle on the criminals crumpled in a heap against the bank wall, at which point the cops arrive. That's a scene. So I'm wondering, Andy, if do you have any insight into if this was filmed and cut? There was a lot of material that was filmed for this scene um, that was cut. I mean, it's uh, when we look at back at all these scripts and everything to kind of wonder what was and what wasn't filmed or not and we'll get into the most famous missing scene oh yeah but this scene had a lot more material that was that was in it that was cut most famously the 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 stunt mm -hmm. paul said that we didn't see it but we actually do see the start of it uh it's where she's going to jump over the car right and we see her start to she's kind of like halfway up on the car when when it cuts and then the next shot is just of her kind of sliding off the edge that was all filmed practically with Linda in a in a very big crane setup and wire work and so forth. I, I have never heard a good explanation as to why it wasn't used after they went to all this work for it. Maybe it just didn't look good. Linda makes an appearance on Johnny Carson. Linda Carter is with us tonight. She played the Wonder Woman in the recent special, and she's going to be doing it again in two more upcoming Wonder Woman special. She's also starring in a new film called Bobby Joe and the Outlaw that's about to be released. Would you welcome Linda Carter? She talks about the big day where she's shooting this scene, and she talks about how all the suits, all the bigwigs and Warner Brothers shows up to watch the big scene. And first day of shooting, uh, I walk out, and this is the, the, the first day we did all the biggest stunts. Yeah. The hardest stunts. You do always most of them yourself? I did about 99% of them. Pretty and the first one that we did, practically the first shot of the day was, it was on one of the Peter Pan wires, and I was supposed to jump over a car, right? And the whole of the studio turned out. All, I thought, I just felt, this is before they strapped me into the, the harness and people are pulling Because when they fly you, you know, Right, they right. fly me over the car. Well, all these people are standing around all of Burbank Studios, and I was feeling great. I felt, I felt so proud You're of all myself. Here to see you. Oh, the star, you know. And uh, I, they hooked me up to this, and I'd only practice in a gym without a car. So they hook you up and they hold you back. And the first time, I slammed right into the car, and I was just. All of a sudden, it dawned on me that the first day of shooting was uh, everyone turned out to see me crushed. And if I if I hurt myself, they wouldn't have lost anything. There's an old rule. Always work with the props. Right. You know, never save the props. So use them in rehearsal. Otherwise, you don't get hurt. But it was great. I mean, it was really fun. I was determined to make it over the car. Yeah. I did. In the photos, she's, she's doing it perfectly. She lands perfectly, and uh, everyone's clapping and cheering for her, and, you know, so forth. It's, uh... There's a whole sequence of about 10 or 12 photos that I've got from that sequence. And um, it's another instance where it's very, very, very clear that it's Linda doing the stunt. There is not a stunt woman on set. There is a stunt person who is overseeing it, but it's very clearly Linda 
that is doing her on stunt, as as is the entire fight scene. There is no stunt woman at this point in the entire fight scene. Yeah, it's uh, it's incredible. It's, it really is incredible. I was wondering if it was something the censors came in and was like, there's too much punching and kicking going on, and we've got to cut this, because we really don't see Wonder Woman punch and kick until third season again. Right. After this, it's right. on, only throws and lassos and that sort of thing there's a note you make later on where you say this is a pretty pretty violent it is lots of violent stuff is happening in this movie it is. it's very and you're different right than what what comes in the series you're right <laughs> yeah you're right i mean the fights that she have there these are so good so well choreographed mm-hmm. but it's a lot of shooting at her it's a lot of punching yeah you're right uh, who knows maybe maybe it did come down to the censorship you said he's been roger bank yes uh, this wonderful woman in the bathing suit, stop him. Okay, stand back, stand back. Now, what's your story, lady? Story? Well, I know a few myths, but... Oh, a joker, huh? Okay, suppose we start with your name. Wonder Woman. Sure. That's the last name, Woman. First name, Wonder, right? Hey, Mike, the guy in the back of the truck, he's starting to stir. Stay right where you are, Wonder. Caught the robbers, save the money. You're going to have to fill out forms. We're going to need your statement. They steal money, and I have to fill out forms. What a country this is. In the script, when Ashley convinces her to come and, and make some money, on screen he takes his, gives her her, her his card and stuffs it in her belt. In the script, he stuffs it in her bosom, <laughs> and you knew that wasn't going to happen. If I do this bullet trick... What do I get? Money. Well, apparently I do need money to survive here. And lots of it. Do you know that a good steak dinner costs over a dollar these days? It's disgusting. And what do you get out of this? 50%, sweetheart. Half the money? But I'm the one that's getting shot at. That's show business. Perhaps I'll get in touch with you when Steve... Uh, when I'm interested. Oh, no. No, you better move fast, lady. The story of how you caught those crooks will be in the papers tomorrow. You've got to strike while the iron is hot. Remember, there's nothing better than yesterday's news. Call me. Uh, and uh, one other thing about this. To make a, a set look a little bit more sexy uh, on camera, one of the things they, they like to do uh, in film and TV is, is hose down the streets. Yeah. And so this scene is, is, a, is a very uh, uh, wet uh, granite uh, scene in the background, and it does make things. It makes things pop uh, a little bit more. Yeah, the car's wet too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's interesting that when she goes in, when she's walking down the street initially, and she goes into the shop, and the the servicemen are looking for her and so forth. It's it's completely dry. Right. Then in the time that she goes, she's in the shop looking at the dress. There's an intense rainstorm. <laughs> So that I've only been in one of those in Florida. Right. Uh, When she comes out of the shop, though, the rainstorm has stopped, but it, it is completely soaked down the street and the cars because as you see in Ashley Norman's car window, there's water all over it. Right. Um, However, it does not hit the time traveling comic book because all the magazines, the the anachronistic Adolf Hitler magazine, the anachronistic comic book, all the magazines are completely dry. Absolutely. So so I'm gonna posit that the um that it was Zeus uh, throwing a rainstorm, but it was only you know for 15 seconds or so. 
and that the uh, the the newsstand is actually a TARDIS. And uh, you know it's oh man we're it's going been everywhere able to time travel and but but it projects a uh, uh, a force field that keeps everything on it dry. Uh, okay, how's that? <laughs> I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> I will buy that for a dollar, absolutely. Uh, the the only other thing I wanted to point out the uh, is that. One of the thugs is named Nunzio, mm -hmm. which I think yes. is, is the the most unusual name. Um, and the only other place I've heard it is a movie called Nunzio's Second Cousin, which is a short film in uh, that was done in, I think it's 94. And it's got Vincent D'Onofrio playing a gay cop. It's a fun short film. It's in a, an anthology called Boy's Life 2. But... Um, it's the only other place that I've heard the name Nunzio other than, than in the, the Wonder Woman pilot. Uh, you know, now it may be that that's, that's, it's, it's a common East Coast name or that a lot of uh, Italian thugs have it or something. Yeah, I was going to say you didn't grow up in an Italian family, apparently. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, Ray's got four cousins named Nunzio. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then, you know. <laughs> I, I guess I guess I missed out on that. On my farm in Montana. I was going to say earlier that maybe it was Nunzio and Sal who hosed down the street. <laughs> it could have been. Because we Italians do love to hose down our driveways. <laughs> oh my god. Wonder Woman will continue in a moment. Wonder Woman is one of the greatest, most long-lived and visibly recognizable icons of female empowerment the world has ever known. That's a crushing weight of expectation to place on someone's shoulders. And Princess Diana of the Amazons has faced scathing criticism for her entire existence as a result. I'm Diablo Frank, and I've been a fan of the Amazing Amazon for my entire life. But she didn't become one of my absolute favorite superheroes until the 1990s. That doesn't seem all that long ago to me, but every year I meet more adults who are otherwise preoccupied getting born around them, so I guess it's been a spell. I try to be a good feminist and all-around decent guy, but I'm still a human being chock full of character flaws quirks, and hang-ups that make me less than anyone's ideal. Despite being an admirable heroine fighting for her rights in her satin tights, Wonder Woman is as human as Adam, and they have the same basic origin. But boy, did that guy make a mess of things. Shouldn't we extend someone with Wonder Woman's track record the same courtesy and empathy we can and should offer to the rest of the world? To be truthful, I'm not a typical fan of the Paradise Island set. I'm not big on mythology, and I'm highly critical of the most popular Themyscirin stories. I like it when Wonder Woman loses her powers and hangs out with a tiny blind Asian martial arts master named Ai Ching, or when she works at Taco Bell and helps collect child support for a co-worker from a deadbeat mafioso dad, or when she rides around on kangaroo ponies from outer space and is a little too into bondage and spanking for the squares. Wonder Woman is great, but I really miss Diana Prince, the reminder that the heroine feels and fails and bleeds like the rest of us. That's why I call my podcast about her Diana Prince Wonder Woman, and the music playing in the background is from the off-model Kathy Lee Crosby TV movie from 1974, because I like to remember there's a woman behind all that wonder, and I'd like to talk about her if you care to listen on iTunes and the Internet Archive. To close out the uh, uh, act four, uh, we, we cut back quickly to uh, Nicholas tells uh, Von Blasco that his plane will be ready. And then we cut to uh, Steve in the bed uh, and, and Diana as a nurse now uh, meets Marsha and General Blankenship in a passing fashion. But again, a beautiful nod uh, to the comic book. 
where where she's uh, Steve's nurse. Have they found out anything more about that unusual woman who dropped him off? No, nothing, except that she was strangely dressed, very attractive, quite strong, and unfemininely pushy. Uh, where is she? Where is that beautiful girl, that angel? Steve, it's me, General Blankenship. Steve? Uh, and again, we, we get that, where's that beautiful girl, that angel? As Ray said, it's a romantic connection that it was never as strong after this episode. No. There's a lot of touching and caressing. And longing looks. Nurse, how is it coming along? As well as can be expected, sir. Uh, how many of you... Um, it's very conceivable that you might have missed or you didn't get immediately that that was Linda Carter as the nurse. I mean, she they don't linger on her when she comes in. Uh, she just goes about her nurse you know, duties and stuff. It's more on Blankenship and Marcia uh, having her, their conversation. And until it comes down to Blankenship addressing uh, Diana that you're like, oh my God, that's that's Diana Prince. That's, that's Linda Carter. That's Wonder Woman. Lieutenant... Yes, sir. I want someone with him at all times in case he wakes up long enough to answer questions. Very well, sir. I'll see to it. Thank you. Well, let's go, Marsha. There's nothing more we can do here now. All right. I bet you were surprised to see Steve again, weren't you? Oh, <laughs> you don't know how surprised. It's you. It's really you. No. It isn't. You're just dreaming. But stay asleep. I'll be near, watching over you. Even if I do have to earn some money first. And now that she has an opportunity through Ashley Norman, she's going to make some money, which brings us to the end of Act 4. The delightful little lady... You've all come here to meet the two most exciting words in show business today, Wonder Woman. Sold out. People want to watch scantily clad woman deflect bracelets in 1942. It's a sold out show, people. And she comes down off this uh, rope that she's hooked onto. I love that. Now, to prove that this is no trick. And that the bullets on these guns are not blanks, I will shoot at this metal wall, which we have built to protect the backstage. Wonder Woman, step aside, if you please. This scene is all about the third representation of bullets and bracelets. And it's something that we will never see again. They knocked it out of the park in this moment here. It could mm. never be done so good. better than no, this. I agree. And some of the notes that Ray... Uh, uh, well, anyway, let me set it up. So uh, Ashley Norman presents uh, Wonder Woman who deflects bullets. And he asks members of the audience to come up and uh, fire, uh, uh, shoot guns off at her. And, and in the audience is... Marcia, Marcia, who's come to see who this mysterious woman is because she must be found and stopped. And that's what she's here to do. Uh, and she's brought a, a friend, an old friend with her. Old friend with her. Um, I was just watching Bewitched. Is she on Bewitched? She was on a Bewitched episode. She played a client in the episode where Andorra... It's the mother-in-law of the year. Andorra is mother-in-law of the year and shoots a commercial 
for McMahon and Tate. Does she bring a, a shotgun with her? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, okay, yes, great. Yes, yes. <laughs> she said, I have a gun that I haven't shot. <laughs> but I would like to now. May I? And Samantha goes, well. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, so um, three people volunteer. A Marine, a middle-aged uh, gentleman who is far too eager to get up on that stage, if you watch. Uh, he's running to, to get up on that stage. And then uh, uh, a, a sweet old lady uh, comes up onto the stage with a big bag. In the script, she's called a Teutonic woman. That's how she's, I think she's credited that way at the end of the episode, too. That's uh, that's amazing, because it's not what I think of when I think of Teutonic. This is Stanley Ralph Ross with his clever phrasing. What do you what do you think he was describing? I would have thought it would have been, you know, somebody like uh, like Fausta Grables, somebody who was big and blonde and, and enormous. Right, right. Okay. So all these people get up there and they're going to fire uh, guns. Now the Marine uh, takes a shotgun, fires it at, at Wonder Woman, and uh, she deflects it uh, beautifully. Uh, next is the middle-aged man, uh, and she's having fun. It's just—it's like it's like she's these bullets are rolling off her. Yeah. And then comes uh, old grandma. I don't. I don't have. I've never shot a gun before. But there's one. I have my own gun that I have fired <laughs> that I am comfortable All right. with. I may use it. All right. I may use None it. None of you have been cast in my play of old lady with machine gun. You're awful. <laughs> it uh, was intentional because I didn't want that role anyway. <laughs> right. 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 There you go. So she pulls out this machine gun and it even sort of startles Ashley Norman who says, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, not a machine gun. And she says, well, in the advertising, you say we can, you know, any Shoot gun. any weapon. So he asks Wonder Woman, and she says, you know, bring it on. And uh, and so he says, Wonder Woman is not afraid, and go ahead. So what is great about this scene, it re- they really tee it up as, to, as, a, as a suspenseful uh, yeah. kind of moment, and I love that. They even got Bob Newhart to stand in the background. <laughs> <laughs> and he literally does nothing other than stand there and gape. I know. I've never seen this guy. And suddenly I can't unsee him right there watching the whole thing, about to have a nervous breakdown. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> but I, I, I swear to God, I never saw him in this shot. And now, he, like Hamlet's father, he's always been there, standing in the shadows. Okay, so so I had a couple of, of you know points about this scene. Go ahead, Andy. Uh, number one... Uh, I think that Ashley Norman is surprised at the machine gun. He doesn't seem to, and and we don't know yet that he's also a Nazi spy. It, it seems as if it's genuine surprise that that he has that the. I don't think he knows that this old granny is a Nazi spy. I think that. Marcia brought her in on her own, right. and Ashley Norman is like, who is this old lady? And oh my God, she's got a machine gun. Is that a machine gun in your bag, or are you just... So that's number one, is that he's, I think he doesn't know that she's also a Nazi. Number two is, how does he stop her? Because in the script, he says Norman stops her as she starts to aim it. On the show itself, look at how he stops her. What does he do? He puts his finger in the barrel of a machine gun. (laughs) Because that's... Only a comedian would come up with that. Because that's, of course, the way to stop a machine gun is if you put your finger in the barrel, it can't draw enough air to spit out bullets, apparently. You're right, Andy. We don't know that Ashley Norman is a bad guy. We don't know that he's Carl. 
Right. And we I know love he's that. Sleazy. We know he's sleazy, but right. we don't know <laughs> that he's actually a sleazy Nazi. Now, here's the other thing about this that a lot of people, you know, if you think about these things sometimes, uh, as far as we know, Wonder Woman has never seen a machine gun. So what she's agreeing to, she doesn't necessarily know what she's agreeing to. As far as she knows, it's just a different kind of gun, not a machine gun. You're right. She has no idea that this is what's coming at her. And and especially because she closes her eyes when it starts, to, when the, when the <laughs> right, gun starts right. being shot by the younger uh, stunt double. And still... She's able to deflect them. That's correct. She's that skilled. <laughs> uh, I think it's because her bracelets have magnetic pull. You know, the feminine the feminine has a specific magnetic pull. The feminimum, yes. The feminimum. Well, I think she's just fast. I believe that it's all her. <laughs> <laughs> although, although, give due credit, they are referred to as magic bracelets uh, later on, right? So... Uh, but I like I have to say again, I love the fact that that they did this because they'll never have to do it again. Uh, in the script, it's actually uh, says that it happens in slow motion. I'm so glad that they didn't stick to slow motion. Me too. They did it very well as, again, um, cinematically. You you in order for this to work visually, she has to stay still. The only thing that can really move is her arms. Yeah. That's what really makes this uh, powerfully work. You know, we won't see a machine gun firing at a live action Wonder Woman again until Justice League. But I, I, I'll tell you, it was done in 1975, a machine gun. And it was done fantastically. I just, I just, I just have to say that it was, it was done great. I agree. I agree. I think that's the best representation of bullets and bracelets ever. Yeah. In yeah. Any yeah. media. This, Absolutely. The scene is the scene is fantastic. I will say one thing about about this scene is that um, I think, and it's an editing mistake. I think. I think it's just a, an editing mistake. Uh, very early on, once she's introduced, she looks in the audience and she sees Marcia, and she gives her like a, "Hey, you're 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 bad." And I, I, there's no, there's no, again, there's no context for her to think that Marcia would be bad. She's only met her once and not directly in the hospital room. Uh, she has no idea that Marcia is bad. Uh, but I, well, I call it an editing mishap because they, they took a, 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 a reaction look from later on and they put it in the, uh, right at the beginning. And it just, it tips her hand a little bit, uh, you know, what is she clairvoyant? Does she have a great... Uh, in feminine intuition, I don't know. It always annoys me that she looks into the audience, she sees Marcia, and and she knows that she's evil. It would work better had she looked and saw her and sort of been neutral, and then after the the machine gun bit, then that look comes, and now oh now she's now you know you're in trouble, lady. I think that's just an editing thing. Later on, well, that's she what does I said. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, what I I'm opened saying up is saying like, it's an editing error, uh, but it's not. It's not a shot from later. I think she's just looking over the audience. the uh, The scene where she gives her the stink eye, though, is at the end, and there's a very good reason for her to give her the stink eye. Number one, she knows that the old lady has come up from next to Marcia, right? Right. And then number two. She's the only one that's not clapping. Right. And and I think that Wonder Woman immediately keys in that she must be a bad woman if she's not clapping for her. <laughs> that is exactly how I feel every time I get off stage. Right. <laughs> Why are yeah. they not clapping? 
Ask oh my an actor, if you see an audience member who's sitting there with their hands folded in their lap, you are going to give them the stink eye and break character. I try not to look gonna, at people in the audience. You're just going to do it. You're just going to be like, hey, uh, you, I just put my heart out on stage and you aren't even clapping. Next is Von Blasco departs Nicolas. Our Nicolas. We may never see each other again. Oh, don't say that, Herr Obst. I know in my heart you will return. Ah. There are several times in a man's life when he might be glad that he never married. I think Nicholas said this is one of them. A fatal mission is just one of several <laughs> moments when a man might be glad he, he never, never married. married. That's hysterical to <laughs> With me. With the silk red scarf underneath <laughs> the bomber jacket. Hilarious. Contact Washington and Code 31 inform Agent M of the approximate time of my bombing and have her inform the U-boat off Long Island. And Nicholas leaks that, too, uh, uh, by way of pigeon. Ray, you also said that uh, the double peace sign, victory sign, that Henry Gibson does when the pigeon goes off is sort of now the, the gesture of a traitor. Yeah. Von Blasco's uh, partner has now just uh, revealed his, his, his plan. Wait, are, are you talking the pigeon or Nicholas? Both. Bless <laughs> <laughs> Mark. <laughs> That's how I deliver that. That's line. great. That's I don't great. want that part either. I love it. I, you know what? I also have to. I don't know if I forget if I said this in the first part, but I love when Kenneth Mars tells Eric Braden, uh, speak English, uh, but we don't want. And, and Eric Braden turns around and looks out into the hallway as if somebody's <laughs> hiding in the hallway. Again, it's these subtle little Leonard Horn really uh, driving home uh, uh, Ross's. Uh, uh, script. Isn't this the end of Nicholas? Is this the last time we see Nicholas? The last time we see Henry Gibson, yes. Until uh, he becomes Mariposa. Stay tuned for that one in 2020. <laughs> Shut up, Ray. Uh, no, wait, wait. It would be 2046? Shut up. 2055. <laughs> Please join me when I'll have a new co-host. <laughs> Joan Van Ark will be co-hosting. Right, Joan Van Ark. Right, and I'll require her to wear her Spider-Woman costume. Do we think that Nicholas becomes Mariposa? No. No. (laughs) Because, well, think about it, because isn't Mariposa from a small South American country? Oh, I see where where you're going. I see where you're going, Mangles. Where did the Nazis go to retire? (laughs) And when... uh, Von Blasco, Von Blasco has his own castle. He's obviously rich. This He's is going true. to have left everything to Nicholas. <laughs> and Nicholas, who isn't really a Nazi, is going to, to leave Germany before the end of the war and go to South America. Well, wait a minute now. He he's I think he isn't he working for the Americans? He's an American He's an agent. American spy, right? He's not a Nazi. <laughs> oh no, I think he's a I think he's a Nazi. I mean he's no. he's not a Nazi Nazi. He's a He's a spy Nazi. He's a spotsy. He's a a sympathizer. He's an American sympathizer, but I think he's actually German. He's far too anti-Teutonic to be. (laughs) I mean, he's the opposite of Teutonic woman. He's, 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 uh, 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 I, uh, I can't, <laughs> he's, he's the anti-Teutonic. He's the anti, thank you. We come back to Ashley, you know, they've got a lot of money and Ashley's talking about 
under the surface, he's trying to keep her occupied, but he's talking about making more money. We're going to be a smash from coast to coast, sweetheart. Coast to coast? Yes. I already got an advance in Madison Square Garden in New York and the Coliseum in L.A. One year on tour and we will be on easy street. No. She sees in the newspaper that Trevor has risen from his coma. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? You, you can't quit now. I'm sorry, Mr. Norman, but... I came to the United States to do something very important. Much more important than this. Oh, sure. Well, I understand. That's the way it goes. Some people get caught up in the smell of grease paint and some people don't. <laughs> Look, let's just sit down. Take it easy. I'll be back in a moment. I'm just going outside for a little drink of water. Here, just read the rest of the reviews. At least keep a few memories. <laughs> and he comes in. With a pistol, there's something, it's funny, there's something that um, uh, Linda Carter says in the commentary of why she's sitting down in this shot. Uh, and she tells, she says to Doug Kramer, uh, uh, you had me sit down in the shot because I was eating too much, too many donuts. Oh! Can you believe it? Wow. She says it to him. They're both doing the commentary. What the f- <laughs> She's in that tight costume. I remember this scene. You made me sit because I was eating too many donuts. <laughs> I don't know if she was joking. I don't know if she was trying to be funny, but it was like, I can believe it. Ooh, that's, uh, yeah. But it does make for a nice shot where she uh, flips uh, Red Button stunt double over her shoulder onto the desk. Uh, and he's like, don't hurt me. And he puts on his glasses. Um, and I love how uh, she <laughs> there's 12 stacks of bills. And she takes eight and leaves Norman four. <laughs> yeah, that, that was in the script. I don't know if it actually happens in the scene. It looks like a, a more even division in the scene. It does appear that she leaves him four. She counts two, and then she gives him two more. And then she just takes whatever's left. Now, in my script, instead of flipping him over the desk, she kicks the gun out of his hand and catches it and then breaks it, which mm. I, I would have loved to have seen that. The comedy in here comes all comes from Red Buttons doing his delayed Heil Hitler. It's not in the script, but again, these pros, they all brought their game to this movie. Yeah. They yeah. really did. Yeah, yeah, they did. Now, the next scene is probably the best scene, and it's not even in the movie. Andy, what is this scene? This is the much-debated... Did Princess Diana ever meet Diana Prince, the nurse, and buy her identity? And this is something that was a big element in the comics. It wasn't just that she needed clothing or an apartment. She needed an identity to stay in America. So she finds, in the comics, she finds a nurse who is outside crying because she wants to join her fiance and she can't, uh, there's no money and there's, you know, all this stuff. And so Diana notices that she looks exactly like her. She could be her twin. And so she gives her money so that she can, she buys Diana Prince's identity and credentials and nursing uniform in order that, Diana Prince can go off with her fiancé and live life. Then she takes on Diana Prince's identity, which is a lie, uh, (laughs) and 
uses those credentials to become Diana Prince the nurse and then Diana Prince Steve Trevor's new assistant. Right. So there's a lot of question in people's minds. Was this scene ever filmed? Did they ever actually even script the scene? Because it's not in some versions of the script. So as we see in the final shooting script, it was scripted. It's glorious. It's a glorious read. We should do it. But the big question is, how much does an identity cost? Five thousand dollars. Well, and what? Okay, what is that in 1942? That's a, that's a lot of money. That's an enormous amount of money. She even says in the script that it'll take care of her for a long time. Yeah. Right. 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 The aspect of that I found always weird as a comic reader was that that Wonder Woman is always about truth and everything else, and here she is literally buying somebody else's identity so she can lie about who she is. Buying somebody else's identity with more money than she should actually have. Right. You know, there's that question. The real world question is, did they ever film this? And to my knowledge and to my investigation, the scene was never filmed. So it is likely that they decided to cut it prior to the actual scene being filmed. I don't know why. I, I have a thought on that. Wait, did you, did, is this a question that you put to Linda in that exhaustive, exhaustive uh, interview? Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it made the interview or not, but I have asked Linda about it. And uh, she has said that she doesn't recall filming a scene with okay. another actress who looked like her. Because it was so specific, they had to have an actress that that looks just like her. And she didn't recall having filmed that. But more importantly, I have a lot of the filming papers where they were scheduling scenes. The ones I don't have, a lot of them I've seen. And I can't find any specific filming date where they would have filmed that scene. That said, I do want to point out that there is a woman in the last, like, 10, 15 minutes, she may be in the hospital. And in fact, I think that's where she is. There is a woman with dark curly hair who looks a lot like Linda Carter. And she's on screen for just a few seconds, turns her head. I remember as as I've watched this for the 712th time, thinking, wait a minute, that from behind, she looks exactly like Linda Carter. And then she turns, and I'm like, well, not as much like Linda Carter, but boy, it could be close. And I kind of wonder whether she was the actress that they would have used to double for Linda. Well, uh, I would say, I will say this, it's a fantastic scene, uh, and, and Ray has suggested that, that we reenact it. I totally think we should. Yeah, I think that'd be, I think that'd be cool. And I had a thought on why this scene might not have been done, is because it, continuity-wise, it makes no sense. Even in the, in the script, she's already appeared in Steve Trevor's room as the nurse. Yeah. If if the scene would have been included, then she would have got the nurse credentials. A little, little bit backwards. Then, then she's another nurse when she goes back because the costume changes. And then she's another Diana Prince. She's named Lieutenant Diana Prince in this script. Yeah, in it's, mine it's it is Yeoman. Too many, too many Diana Princes going on. That could be a song. Too many Diana Princes going on. All right, we have gone actually longer than than we thought, and we've gotten some wonderful stuff out of this. But uh, my God, I'm gonna have an editing job next week. 
same time, same bat channel. Sure. Okay. All right. Excellent. Wait. Excellent. Wait. You didn't uh, let me finish with my other thing. Oh, you had another thing? Yes, I had another thing. So she. Mary Lou Rett. She's reading the newspaper, which has magically come out. Some of the music heard in this podcast is from the sensational La La Land Records limited edition three CD Wonder Woman TV soundtrack. It's produced by Neil S. Balk. You can order yours at lalalandrecords.com. Our show notes for this edition and every edition can be found on our website at satintights.com. You'll find links to all of our socials there, too, including our new Patreon, which will launch with our next episode. You can email us at satintightspodcast at gmail.com, and you can leave us a voicemail at 508-68-SATIN or 508-687-2846. We may use your message on a future podcast. Once again, thank you to our special guest, Andy Mangles. For Paul K. Bisson, I'm Ray Caspio. All three of us will return for part four, the conclusion, the end, the final frontier for our discussion of the new original Wonder Woman. Thank you so much for listening as we discuss the intimate, intricate details of the Wonder Woman TV series, episode by episode. We are so grateful to you for listening, and we'll be back next time. Bye. Oh, wow. Ouch. What the? Feminine bracelets. Boom, 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 boom.